great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Hello and welcome to Of Mice and Main Street Men. I am Tristan. And I'm Sean. Hey, Sean, you know, it is a very cool day in the the Of Mice and Main Street Men universe here. It is. Uh, And you know... You know, small world ain't just a boat ride with singing dolls. It sometimes (laughs) sometimes means there are actually people from our past who cross into the firmament of the Disney heavens. And and so, yeah. And so who's on the show today, Sean? It's a pretty exciting guest. Funny you should ask, (laughs) because actually our guest today is somebody that I have known since high school. Uh, basically, we grew up at the same children's theater uh, in Kansas City, and uh, he's consented to join us today because his current connection to Disney Universe is uh, a long history at Henson and a current gig, you know, as Big Bird and Kermit the Frog, if you've ever heard of them. They're kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, so welcome, Matt. Welcome, Matt Vogel. Hey, Matt. Hey, Sean. Hey, Tristan. How are you guys doing? Uh, good. Doing great. Yeah, this well, is, I'm speaking uh, for Tristan when I say we're good, but I'm good. Oh, I'm good too. We're speaking to celebrity today, so it's I'm like excited. The royal we. It is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, thank you for having I guess me. I'll... Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate of course, it. It's great. You. you know, thank they you won't for... they won't see me and me or see me seeing you, Sean. But it's been a long time since we've actually it actually on each other. It 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 has it really has and and I'm sorry that this is not a visual podcast because you went to all the trouble of wearing your cool Doctor Teeth T-shirt and your <laughs> electric mayhem hat. This is just and what I wear in, as a person. Oh, just to the grocery <laughs> store. And, yeah, yeah, and in your cool sound booth with guitars behind you. That's right. Yes, those are just props. Ah, well, you know, um, but I was saying to Tristan, you know, part of part of our whole thing here with the mid of mice and main street men is we embrace our midwestern roots and you know with you being from kansas like you are just maybe even let's start this ball rolling by you talking about you know what it was like growing up in the midwest and how you sort of laid the laid the trail for this career you've ended up on with with theater and puppets and stuff sure well i i uh as you said, I come from Kansas. I'm on the from the Wyandotte County side of uh, it, near Kansas City. It's in Kansas City. It's a suburb of Kansas City called uh, Turner, Kansas. Uh, and uh, I come from a family with uh, a mom and a dad and a brother, a single one one brother named Jason, who's uh, three years younger than me. And uh, as kids, you know, it was just a what I thought was a fairly ordinary, normal childhood growing up in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, we, we played baseball and, you know, played out, rode our bikes outside and, you know, did all the things that kids do in the, in the seventies, you know, not as right. much maybe now, I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more virtual, uh, bike riding perhaps, but, uh, we did all that stuff. And, and, um, you know, I, I guess in, in, in grade school, I was, interested in there would be uh you know plays and musicals even in grade school i remember 
And I remember remember being cast in a couple of those shows, usually at Christmas time. Just remembering this just right now. Uh, and uh, one of them was like the North Pole goes rock and roll. And it was like Santa <laughs> Claus in that show. And uh, and uh, I remember enjoying that experience a lot and thinking that, you know, doing theater was kind of fun. Uh, at the same time, I was a huge fan of Jim Henson and Sesame Street and the Muppets. Uh, we would watch the Muppet show every, I think it was on, on Sunday nights where I grew up. Yes, and I think you are correct. Right? And it I was think so. you know, syndicated show. So it was on in different nights uh, all over the country or all over the world, really, because it was a huge, huge international hit. Uh, and I remember seeing it and just really something about the Muppets really drew me to that art form. I would watch the screen there at home and I every once in a while I would see uh, a puppeteer's head you know in the bottom of the frame because somebody screwed up the shot yeah and I and I was fascinated <laughs> by it. I mean back then they you know sometimes and I've learned since that you know sometimes the performance beats out the the technical mess ups so sometimes a head is okay because the performance is so great uh, but we do try to get rid of the heads if we can or not not see heads <laughs> nowadays. Uh, and But I remember being fascinated by that and wondering who was below that frame there. Who was down there? What were they doing? How did they do it? Uh, you know, sometimes I would notice that, that some characters had uh, hands that would move. Their hands could pick things up. And then I noticed there was something, there was like a, like a sleeve at the bottom of the hand, like from the wrist that I... I kind of put together that a person's hand was in there going up into the puppet and it was their real hand moving around the whatever prop it was and I was fascinated by that and you know there was no YouTube there was nothing where I could go and try to find out what was going on uh, below the frame there so I kind of put it together that this was you know this group of Muppet performers that uh, they did everything and they worked on this show called The Muppet Show. They also worked, a lot of them worked on this, on Sesame Street, which I was a huge fan of. Mostly of the, as much as I love the, the human actors on Sesame Street, I was always drawn to the, to the puppet portions, the inserts. Uh, and of course, I loved Big Bird and Oscar who were on the street. Those were the, really the only ones you saw on the street. And so I... Because that was pre-Snuffleupagus days? Yeah, kind of. I mean, he came around, I think Snuffleupagus was in there in the late 70s, I think. I could be wrong, and I'm sure somebody will say. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and at that time, he was a, this uh, imaginary friend uh, and later became, uh, you know, real. But uh, I was fascinated, and so I built my own puppets, and I did not know what I was doing. I did not know how to do it. I just, I just had this drive to build these puppets and so i built these ridiculous puppets well out of, out of t-shirts basically because because one of my i because i swear one of my earliest memories with you like when because i'm just a few years older than you we only missed you webster by a year in terms of that stuff but i swear i remember maybe i've added myself to the story but i remember you building like dwarf puppets for snow white and the seven dwarves yes i did at, at theater for young america yep. and because what i mean what was that like and am i remembering that right and were there other shows and stuff you are remembering correctly 
Uh, my puppet building skills probably weren't that much better by that point, which would have been, I would have been maybe, I don't remember what year that was, but maybe it was, you were certainly already at Webster. Somewhere, and, somewhere in the eighties, probably. Yeah. Late eighties. maybe. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. I was not yet at, at Webster. I don't think. But yeah, I nope. built these uh, seven dwarf puppets, and I guess we all performed them. I, 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 I don't have a, a a real specific memory of of building those puppets or even being in that show so much. But it was certainly I, I, uh, I do remember that I did do that, and you know, all of us uh, theater students, I believe, were the seven dwarfs in that in that production, which was not we did not use Disney the Disney music. If I'm no, no, it was not a licensed Disney fied <laughs> production. Right, that's right. It was, but it, there was music. I, I think there was music, right? I think there was. I think there like was. was. We'll ask Val. She'll yeah, remember. She'll know. She'll know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I built these puppets all throughout my childhood, really, and and entertained kids in the neighborhood and at PTAs and at church and. And, you know, my family, I entertained them. I would, you know, put myself behind a sofa and put puppets up. And my whole life, I guess, I had puppets in my life. Uh, but I never really, there was never any thought in my head or plan in my head that I was ever going to go uh, work on Sesame Street or work with the Muppets or anything like that. Nothing. I was just very inspired by them to create my own puppets and do my own thing. Uh, and uh, that's kind of what I did all throughout my childhood and, uh, you know, till, till about the ninth grade um, when I was in a talent show in ninth grade. And uh, I, 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 uh, I think I won the talent show or I got one of the you know third prize, second prize. For I hope you did. And at this point, let's just say you won. <laughs> sure, I won. So I won the talent show. But as I was walking up to get my award, I heard people booing. And uh, it really, and it wasn't like an overwhelm. It wasn't like everybody was like, yeah, boo. But I did hear that. And, you know, that's the thing that you kind of hear more than the people applauding is the, is the, is the, you know, the negative stuff. That's what you, that's what really impacted me. And so I, I kind of, I put the puppets away. I, I never brought them out at school again. And that is though, the, the good thing about that, because on, on the one hand, it's kind of, awful and horrible and had it stopped right there that would have been just a, a very a tragic thing I, I would not be where i am today but on the other hand my parents knew that i needed a creative outlet and so they enrolled me in acting classes at theater for young america which uh was you know 20 minutes from my house in uh, overland park at the time and uh i remember going to class and and uh, meeting people. Uh, I, I don't think I met you at first there, Sean, but, you know, meeting people like Matt Rapport, uh and, uh, you know, of course, Gene and uh, Cheryl Mackey, who created the Theater for Young America and ran it and, did, and taught classes. And there, that's kind of where I felt that I had met people that were, that I, I was like, that, that we were alike, that we had similar interests, that we loved theater we loved acting we loved this make-believe kind of stuff i didn't feel judged i didn't feel which i kind of think i must have felt i mean they were booing me or i heard those boos, so, you know and that's but thankfully my parents did enroll me there and 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 uh through there i uh, started doing shows um 
And that's, that is when, when I was a sophomore in 1986, a sophomore in high school, that I, somewhere in there is when I met you, Sean, because we did Prince and the Pauper together. Oh, right. <laughs> you were very good, by the way. <laughs> well, and like, so were you. That kid is awesome. But, well, and Tristan, feel free to jump in here on a yeah, yeah, I'll just yammer on, a, on otherwise. On a, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, that we love that. Story, we love that. That's um, awesome. So I have to, like, step back for a second because I absolutely love the fact that this puppet thing was, like, such an early part of your childhood and adolescence. And then it was abandoned. But did you, like, in the back of your mind as you entered high school and even, you know, Webster, which I know we'll get to, did that ever come back to be like, oh, maybe I could do this whole puppet thing again? Uh, was that ever still part of the deal in your head that someday I'd like to do something with that again? Or did you kind of just completely abandon it? I think by then, by the time I started taking these acting classes, I was really interested in uh, in acting, in acting, not really realizing, I think at the moment, that the two, that acting and puppetry uh, are very closely related because if you're doing a character, you're really just acting. There's just a whole other technical side of it, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But uh, I think that my drive at that time was that I loved acting and I wanted to be an actor. And I met people like Sean and uh, and other people, big actors in Kansas City. Theater for Young America would bring in professional actors, um, professional equity actors that were part of the that part of the shows, part of the company, and they would work with kids like myself and uh, train us. And then we got the opportunity to be in shows with them. So that's really kind of what I was wanting to do was be a, an actor. Well, and all right. So this is a, this is a sidetrack, but it's a Disney podcast. So I'm going to go down because it seemed like you were into video production slightly in the 80s. Yeah. Because I remember us putting together a video piece yeah. to convince your parents that yes. you should get to go to Disney That's with right. us that summer. And then and then. Is, do you do you recall? I do this? remember that. I remember that. I uh, yeah, we made a video. It was very low tech. Uh, you know, I don't even It was remember. the 80s. Yeah, it was the 80s. So I didn't like have any editing equipment. There was no, I think I probably, what I probably did was I had learned how to take two VCRs, put them side by side, and one would be the, the master tape and the other would be like the raw footage. And I would move one to the other side and then pause it and then go to the next take or the next scene or whatever we did. But I remember we had like a map, didn't we, Sean? There was like a we did, and it like and we had like a, a car driving along yes. it, like from Kansas yeah. to Florida. That's right. And, and we did such a great job convincing them that they decided they wanted to like pack up the RV. Yeah. And I got to go with you guys. And so we went. Yeah, I remember it was, that. That was so much fun. It was the only time I had ever driven an R and remains to this day. The only time I've driven something of that massive, like 18 wheeler sized RV down the road. But that's right. All the way to Florida. And yeah, that's right. I I had forgotten about that, that we had made that video. Oh my gosh. But you're right. And And we convinced them. We, we convinced my parents. We did. We were salesmen. Yeah, we got it. Um, Well, so so we've reached now now that we've gone to Disney World and had a cool time. Yeah. Um, But you ultimately decided to head to my alma mater. Mm -hmm. I I had 
I had blazed the trail to Webster, but sort of what made you think, what made you think Webster, you know, and what, and how did that sort of, how did that sort of, you know, figure into your path at the time? Well, it really was because of you, Sean, uh, to my memory, you said, you know, if you're thinking about being an actor, you really should go to Webster because they have a conservatory program there. Um, and it, and it at the time was a very well-respected uh, acting conservatory. And, you know, these days, and I have five kids and three of them are in college. Well, one of them has graduated, but two of them now are in college. I've been through the process with three kids. And Ooh. nowadays you have to apply to a dozen at least a dozen different colleges or universities. That's just what people do. They, they submit all this stuff. I, I submitted to one, one university, Webster University. I had no backup plan. <laughs> not, not advised, not, that's not to be, uh, I'm not advising anybody to do that, but I had no backup plan. Uh, it was an audition audition process. You went in, you did your audition piece, and and I don't remember. I I don't remember if you helped me or not with that audition piece or not. It was just a, a it was just a, there was no singing. I wasn't there as a musical theater major, just a, as they called it, regional theater major. Right. You and Tony Award winner Norbert Leo Butts were a part of the non singing. That's program. right. That's right. That is correct. You've and done okay for yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, 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 uh, he's done all right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's done a few musicals too. I think he sure has <laughs> won the Tonys for him. So <laughs> that's right. So yeah, he's doing, he's been doing pretty well. Uh, but I, I auditioned, got in at, at Webster, but it was really because uh, I knew people, I knew friends that went to Webster and they had a good time. And so that's why I went. So when you got to Webster, then, you know, uh, how did you ever pull your puppetry skills out and were like, hey, I build these things and I also know how to operate them. Was that part of your collegiate uh, experience? It was. Um, as Sean mentioned, I had created these seven dwarf puppets for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And that was probably when I was in high school. Uh, and uh, so I guess uh, my my memory's a little fuzzy, but I think that I probably, because these were people that I felt comfortable around. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt that it was okay to show that side of me, which I maybe had previously been a little either embarrassed by or thought wasn't, thought maybe people could have looked down upon. Even though I know like most, I mean, in my, in my mind, I always thought everybody loves the Muppets. Uh, but I did bring the puppets out I remember in particular my sophomore year, I was asked to bring a puppet or two. So clearly I had them before then for some reason. I was asked to bring a puppet to the freshman uh, orientation icebreaker thing. And so I brought a couple of puppets and a friend and I, uh, we had puppets at this icebreaker for the for the freshman class. And, um, and before that, I think, freshman year my freshman year of, of acting i we had to do like a, a an historical figure and i picked jim henson and i built my version of a kermit the frog puppet 
um, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing again. So it was not, quite, but I just, it was the thing to get me to be able to do this Jim Henson um, <laughs> sure. biography moment. Uh, so I did have a puppet there as well. So maybe it was somewhere in there that people were like, you have puppets? And I was like, yeah, I guess I do. Uh, <laughs> and then from there, I a friend of mine uh, that I that was in my class, he uh, who ended up being my roommate, uh, asked if I would help him out with in the summer doing puppet shows around St. Louis um, at daycares. And uh, so I did that. And I brought some of my puppets into that show. And yeah, that's kind of, so I was, people did know that I had puppets and was into puppetry, but it never was anything where I was like, I'm going to take these puppets and I'm going to do something else with them. It was always still, I'm going to be an actor. I was in shows in uh, Webster and I was going to go to New York to be an actor. And the next thing I remember, and you will fill in the gaps, but the next thing I remember in the cool Matt Vogel journey of of this whole thing was you talking about, and I think it was in variety back in the days that there was like paper versions of variety when you answered the ad for the six foot tall yeah. left-handed puppeteer yes. with no more description than that really. Right. Yeah. Well, so it was in backstage. Oh, backstage. Right? Sorry. Yeah. Not variety. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, backstage. It's right. so we had uh, oh my gosh, this, this, I'm going to table that just for a second because Sean, this memory just came up to me. And I have to bring it up because I've talked about it many times before, just within my family. Do you remember coming to visit me at Webster and we were going to go up to Mark Twain's house? Yeah. Yeah. And we drove and it was, I don't and know, maybe 90 miles or something. Yeah. And saw that horrific time. outdoor drama. Yes. But before that, this is the part that I remember the drive <laughs> up there. And we must have had a lot to, of, you know, soda or water or whatever it was, but we yeah. had to go to the bathroom oh. so badly and there was nowhere to go to the bathroom until right. we did find a place well out of St. Louis, I think. Yes. I remember having, trying to stand up and go to the bathroom. Um, excuse me for the rudeness of this conversation. Oh, please. This but, podcast has gone far, far deeper and worse <laughs> than this. But, but this just, I just remembered this, that we had to walk to the bathroom and it was I have never, never before, never since felt that feeling of having to go to the bathroom so badly. Relief. I almost couldn't walk. I, well, is that where we in is that where we invented the term whizlore? I I seem to recall the term whizlore very well. And it was it was a very it was a great moment in whizlore, if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah. But yeah, you're yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry about that. Uh, so I graduated from, from Webster and my then girlfriend, now wife, Kelly, on our way to New York. Actually, we got an apartment in New York, but we couldn't get into it until uh, November. And so we were going to spend the month of October in Ohio with Kelly's mom until we could move into our apartment. And on the way to Kelly's mom's house, we had gotten a backstage newspaper and she looked in it and she found this picture it was this, this illustration of kermit the frog and it said next to it do you measure up to be a muppet and then it did say you're right they were looking for somebody you know six foot they were looking for a left-handed puppeteer um and a couple of other things that uh, that was exactly me that was exactly it descri described me to a t uh 
with one exception. And I, and I wrote them a letter, I think, or I called them one of the two. I can't remember which I did, but uh, this was so long ago. This was back in 1995, I think. And so I wrote them a letter or called them. I can't remember. I think I wrote, I sent, wrote them a letter. Sent a carrier pigeon, maybe. I could have. Well, that actually that was, was part popular of it. in the 90s. <laughs> yes, right. And so I, uh, and in the letter, I said, I am six foot two. I am left-handed, but I am a right-handed puppeteer. And I kind of thought, you know, I just need to be honest with them because I didn't know what they were wanting me to do. And I said, but I think that I'm interested in doing this. And they said, well, great. Let us know when you get to New York and we will have an audition. And that is what happened. We moved to New York that November. I had an audition very shortly after I got there to my memory. And it was with uh, John Henson, who was Jim's youngest son, who has since uh, passed away. And he was auditioning for uh, a puppet version, a full body puppet version of the Coca-Cola polar bear. And that Coca-Cola polar bear would go to different Coca-Cola events. Uh, I, I think the world of Coke was you did a, at the time. You did a Super Bowl, didn't you? Or am I, I did, making that I up? did not. Oh. Now, now, John, who was wonderful, John, his his goal was to not do all of the appearances. He would uh, he would do the really cool ones. So he would do the Super Bowl <laughs> and he would do like the Olympics. I think he did the Olympics where he skied, which I would as the Coca-Cola polar bear. I, I'm, I'm sure that's what he did. And, and you uh, got the supermarket openings. I got supermarket openings. Yes. And things like that, which was great. I did. I did. I do remember um, doing like a, a world of Coke event in Atlanta and like the B-52s were there. And, you know, it was it was a, it was fun. And it was a great way for me to be introduced, reintroduced to puppetry in a different way, because this was a, a full body puppet that I'd, I'd never done that kind of thing before. Um, and John was so sweet. Uh, the day that I met him, he, uh, they waited, I guess, until I got to New York to do these auditions. And I was not the, I was not the first audition. I was the last guy to go. And at the end of the auditions, he said, Hey, do you want to go to lunch with me? I was like, yeah, I, I, I yes. I no, thank you, Mr. Yeah, Hanson. I'm, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, so I, I, I went to lunch with him. Uh, and he, we, we had lunch. And then at lunch, he, I told him like my life story up to that point, I'm sure. And then he said, uh, you want to come up to my house for New Year's Eve? I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. That, I would love to do that. <laughs> so he was just such a, a nice guy. And so I, I, uh, I got to, I guess, understudy his Coca-Cola polar bear and do that. And I should say that before that, in my senior year of, of college at Webster, uh, you know, we come to New York, the actors come to New York, the seniors come to New York and they do a showcase and, you know, you kind of hope to maybe get a land a gig. I don't know. I, I don't know. But you come to New York and you do a showcase in front of a bunch of agents. Well, I also what I wanted to do was I made a puppetry video because I thought, man, what the heck? I'm just going to make a video and I'm going to send it to the Jim Henson company and we'll see what happens. And this was while I was still at school. Uh Kelly helped me and our friend Gretchen helped me make this video, this puppetry video. And again, I didn't really know. I knew that they used monitors, 
but I didn't really, I had, I didn't know how to do it when I was shooting this video. So I shot a video, I sent it off to New York and they sent me this lovely rejection letter. Oh yeah. So I kind of was like, all right. Does it have like, was it Muppet stationery? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's like, uh, you know, Kermit the Frog, I think is on the top of it with uh, Jim Henson company or Jim Henson productions at the time. And uh, yeah, you know, it was very nice. And, and uh, you know, it was signed by this person, Renee Rochelle. And I was like, okay, well, well. so I did this thing with uh, John and I, I, I guess for some reason I was like, well, something keeps telling me I should try again. There's a picture of Kermit the frog. Do you measure up to be a Muppet? So I'm going to try that. And they did kind of bring me in somewhere along the way. After I was the understudy for, uh, for the Coca-Cola polar bear, this person named Renee Rochelle, who had written the rejection letter previously, uh, <laughs> asked if I would want to audition for uh, a character called Big Bird. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Big Did you do some research? By then you had YouTube. You could go see what that was, right? <laughs> no, no. There, there still was no YouTube. Still no YouTube. <laughs> so, but luckily, my knowledge of Big Bird and my knowledge of the show and my love of Big Bird and Sesame Street uh, came in handy. But I also did go to Tower Records and I picked up like uh, the Big Bird. Bird is the word big birds greatest hits or something like that and listened to that a lot because one of the questions was can you do a big bird voice and i was like yeah of course because i'm a i'm an actor i you know you're supposed to say yes to anything right can you <laughs> and then go buy the record and figure out how that's right and then figure it out so i did i that's what i did i i studied these uh these cds with carol spinney who's the original big bird uh, and but I never was ever like trying to mimic any of the characters. I just I just did my own kind of characters. So this was a new thing for me to try to learn how to speak like somebody else. I did. I, I listened to a few podcasts that you've been on. I've listened to your podcast, too, actually. And I have questions for about that later. But um, and I love hearing the stories about you and Carol's friendship and uh, and that that how he kind of originally was like, I think you're the guy based on your, your name. So yeah. I kind of want to hear that story because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So Renee Rochelle, who the one who had written the rejection letter, she kind of took me under her wing, uh, so to speak. And she invited me to this audition for Big Bird. Now it wasn't for actually Big Bird, but Carol Spinney was at this point 65 years old. So the thought was maybe we need to start looking at maybe somebody that can help Carol out with some appearances that he might not want to go to or do kind of like lighten the load for him, make it a little easier for Carol, who was, uh, as long as I knew him, very strong, always very, very strong uh, and could hold that puppet longer than anybody. Uh, and that's a puppet that you wear, of course. If you don't know, Big Bird is a puppet that you wear. Just kind of like put it on. And, and a somebody big has puppet. To put it it's on even in the name. Puppet. It's a big Yeah, puppet. it's a big puppet. And it's a bird puppet. And you have to be yeah. put, the puppet has to be put on to you. You can't put it on yourself. Someone has to help you. And uh, so I got to this audition. And there were, I think, four other gentlemen there. Some, uh, all of whom I, I know. And all of whom... Are, are pretty good friends of mine to this day and all of whom worked on Sesame Street except for me 
I had done a Thanksgiving Day parade on the Sesame Street float as Bert. But uh, other than that, I hadn't, maybe I'd visited Sesame Street. That, that was about it. So Renee came up. She brought me over to Carol Spinney, who was just standing there. And he's, you know, he's just this white hair and his big white beard. And uh, she said, uh, Carol, I'd like to introduce you to Matt Vogel. Matt Vogel, this is Carol Spinney. And he shook my hand and he goes, oh, Vogel, your name means bird. This may be the job for you. You know, he kind of laughed and I kind of was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I mean, I think there was some little seed, little bird seed planted in his head that he was like, oh, my gosh, this guy might be the guy because he knew uh, he had a, a, a he was pretty familiar with uh, German and, uh, you know, he loved to go uh, vacation over in, in Germany and uh, uh, he would wear lederhosen. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and you know it was like nice really nice uh expensive later hosen and uh but that's how that came about and then he and i had to put the puppet on somebody had to put the puppet on me in front of carol and then do my big bird my version of him in front of him uh, no pressure yeah no pressure <laughs> no so i did it <laughs> And uh, and not too long after that, they brought me in again, uh, just me this time to work with Carol. And uh, Carol gave me a ride home in the cab that night. And you know, it was just so sweet. He was such a he always he always treated me like a family member, like a like his son, like a, you know, both both Carol and his wonderful wife Debbie. And they're they're just they're magnificent. And so I, I uh, you know, I studying under carol for 20 some years and uh when he would do oscar the grouch if big bird was in that scene i would play big bird and i would just kind of um lip sync i would just move my i would open and close the mouth and say the lines or we would pre-record carol's lines and they would play it down to the floor um one of the two ways and then carol would either do nothing because they had already played the lines down to the floor or he would go back in and he would loop those lines that I kind of had had puppeteered. And that's kind of how it worked for a few years, several years after when I got to Sesame Street. When when you were on the street, because mm -hmm. I, I know there were times that you would like, you would also be like the left hand of like Ernie or something, right? I mean, was that yes. like around the same time? And was that all mixed in there? Yeah. And how did yeah. that stuff work? Yeah, it does. It It is kind of at the same time. So when you when you are a new Muppet performer, and, and we don't really, there aren't a lot of new Muppet performers, although I could tell you a little bit of how we work things now. But back in the day, there weren't a lot of new Muppet performers coming through. There was myself at the time. There was like myself, John Tartaglia, yeah. another big Disney uh, lover, um, uh, Stephanie DeBruzzo and Peter Lins and Eric Jacobson. And, and all of us were kind of the newer generation of Muppet performers. And the first thing that you are meant to do when you're a new Muppet performer on Sesame Street is you are a right hand. You are an assistant. And what that means is if you picture uh, Cookie Monster, Cookie Monster, remember I was talking about those live hands where they could actually pick something up. Cookie Monster like picks up cookies and he eats them. And it's, you know, imagine... There's, it's either that where you can actually pick up the hand, the cookie with your live hand inside a glove that picks up it up, or you've got uh, hands that have rods coming out of your 
wrists and you can't really pick anything up with it because it's just like it's just you know belt and foam and whatever it is trying to pick something up you can't pick anything up so <laughs> when you come in your right hand you're a live right hand assistant and that is supposed to in the old days like that would last maybe seven years like that would be your training and it would be there so that you were allowed to kind of not have to worry about taking on the main character that's a lot of responsibility because i don't know when you want to talk about this but being a muppet performer there are many different things that you're doing all at once and trying to make it look like it's the easiest thing in the world but that's what you would do you come on you would assist somebody you'd have and you have there's a certain way you have to do it because you don't want to like draw attention to your right hand it needs to look organic and like it's coming from the actual principal performer so you can't tell that there's actually another performer there i think that's actually a fascinating thing about puppetry in general um is after a while because when i've seen avenue q for instance and and i've been in avenue q a few times now it's amazing how fast the audience does not look at that human performer and they really focus on that puppet and I, I, does that work the same way for you? Like, even when you're in the studio watching, you're like completely disregard, you know, the human. I mean, I guess for you, since you do it so often, but I imagine you still get caught up in the like fantasy of, of the puppet. Yeah. Oh, sure. I remember one of the first times that I saw Big Bird live in person was at the New Victory Theater opening in New York City. And I remember being there to help uh, again, John Henson with Sweetums because he was doing Sweetums at the time and Sweetums has uh, remote control eyelids and eyes that move around. So I was that RC operator, but Carol Spinney was there as Big Bird. And I remember the first time seeing him and this flashes me back to remembering when I was a kid. And I'll tell you that as a little sub, sub story. But I remember being there in the theater and seeing Big Bird come out and it felt like he was looking at me. It, I really felt like he was looking at me. And I remember times on Sesame Street when I would be on the floor with a puppet on my hand up in the air or we'd be in, in between a scene and Carol would still be in Big Bird and he'd be like over my right shoulder, but standing up and I would look up and it was like Big Bird was real and looking at me. And all of this to say, like, I, I believe in those characters. I remember as a kid yeah. going to see the Ice Capades, the Sesame Street Ice Capades version. I know Disney does their, you know, Disney <laughs> on Ice version. This was the Ice Capade, I believe, back in the day. <laughs> and they did a Sesame Street version. And I remember seeing it and being at probably Kemper Arena or something and probably is where that was. And seeing Big Bird skating around. Now, this was not Carol Spinney. Carol Spinney was a roller skater and could and was a great roller skater, but he was not the person in this this suit ice skating around. But I remember Big Bird coming up to us where I was sitting and thinking, Big Bird's looking right at me. And I was a little kid, you know, but I was thinking that. And I kind of flash back to that moment when I was in that new Victory Theater and seeing Big Bird here now as an adult and still feeling like he's looking at me. You know, it was it was uh, amazing. So I buy into it. Absolutely. And you're right, Tristan, when people see the characters, doesn't matter whether I'm holding the puppet right next to me and the puppets right next to my face, the puppet is always more interesting than the person operating. It just, it just always yeah. is because when it's done right, you just want to look and talk to that puppet. 
Yeah, because I think if I were to meet any of the the Muppets or like, you know, a Sesame Street character, I would be fully convinced that I'm talking to, you know, Big Bird or Kermit or I yeah. I, I would I would understand because my daughter and I were just talking about this. She's like, yeah, but they're just they're actors that are controlling the puppet. So like her, she because she's grown up in a showbiz family, her she's done with magic. But like for me, even like I would be a puddle talking to Kermit. You know, even though I know, Matt, it's you. Right. But like I would just, you know, and I, I bet that happens to you all the time, even with like the biggest of celebrities probably come in and have that reaction, don't they? Oh, yes. I mean, well, first of all, how old your daughter? She's nine. Nine. OK, so she's kind of at the age where. You know, knowing the secret. Yeah. Uh, and and knowing how it's done is part of it. And it's actually can be part of the magic too, which is, I think yeah. that then transcends into adulthood uh, in the reverse in some way, because we know as adults, we know that this is not real. We know that the character is not real, but there is something about us as humans. I think when we are, uh, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and open to we buy into the magic whether it is a puppet on our hand or whether we're watching you know uh mickey in the parade or you know we're seeing somebody we want to connect with that character and when they do when we do feel like they're connecting with us that is when we're a kid again you know yeah and yes when when celebrities come to sesame street i have seen celebrities cry when they come on when they walk onto <laughs> sesame street do you have any favorite, do you have any favorite celebrity, like just things that really stick out to you as a very special memory of, of working with somebody that, that was there on the street that. Sure. Yeah. I got a couple of them that, that, uh, uh, that I remember off the top of my head. Uh, I was a huge fan of the band R.E.M. And when R.E.M. came to Sesame Street, they did shiny, furry monsters instead of shiny, happy people. <laughs> and so I remember being, um, I was, I was, I got to be both hands of the Kate Pearson puppet that was there. But that was a huge day for me to be able to be in the room with like my favorite band at, in that moment. Like that was huge. And thinking that like Sesame Street can bring in R.E.M. That's crazy you know or to have uh to have michelle obama walk up to me and offer her hand and shake her hand and say hi i'm matt vogel and this was you know she was there to do something on sesame street and carol was big bird that time and i was like a vegetable or something and then a few years later to now be, be big bird and do a billy on the street with billy eichner episode a special episode that had Michelle Obama in it. And when she came back and she saw me again, she said, Matt, it's good to see you again. Like now I know that she has people with her that, you know, are like, this is Matt Bogle. You met him before. He was on Sesame Street. He's on Big Bird now. And, and, you know, but still the feeling that I got from that, from her kindness and, and just felt very human to me was, was really wonderful. And that was because of Sesame Street as well. Uh, another one, this is probably my favorite one. This is usually the one that I say when people ask me who was my favorite. When Garth Brooks came to Sesame Street, he came twice, but when he came the second time, I wasn't there the first time, if I remember correctly. 
when he came the second time, he didn't have any publicist. He didn't have any entourage. It was him and his mom. You know, that was it. And when he came onto the set, he had his, you know, his, his cowboy hat on. He came walking over. And, I, and back in the day, you could have visitors. So my mom was in town, and I brought her to the set that day. And, um, you know, it's a really special thing to be able to bring your mom to Sesame Street and have her be there for, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm in this bit with Garth Brooks, and mom, you're watching me do this. In between takes, I brought my mom over and I introduced her to Garth Brooks. I said, Mr. Brooks, this is uh, my mom, Adrian. Adrian, this is Garth Brooks. And he took his hat off and he held his hand out and he said, it is so nice to meet you, ma'am. And it chokes me up to this day because it was so sweet. And he did that with everyone, like literally wow. everyone. He made a very personal connection with every single person on that set. To oh, the point awesome. of... To the point of like when my friend Joey Mazzarino had talked to him about his parents, uh, Ursula and Angelo. And at the end of the day, when Garth Brooks was leaving, he turned around to Joey and he said, tell Ursula and Angelo hello from me. And he left. Like just he really, that was such a, a meaningful interaction from a celebrity. And it makes me aware of that in the minor role that I play with these characters that, that, uh, you know, these are special interactions, whether it's Garth Brooks meeting these characters or us meeting Garth Brooks or whether it's somebody meeting Kermit the Frog. And likewise, I, if somebody wants to take a picture with Kermit the Frog, we'll take a picture. It doesn't matter if I've been there for 14 hours or whatever. It doesn't matter. This might be their one and only time to interact with that character. It's really important to us to be able to share that moment with somebody. Uh, so we try to do that as often as we can. And because of those people along the way, that's kind of helped me realize that. That's a very yeah. hard answer. <laughs> if that is so cool. you edited. I <laughs> 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 don't. Um, and I guess one more thing while we're still sort of in this realm, because because yeah. this took you to Broadway, right? As the mm -hmm. plant at one. Is that around this same time? You know, this. Uh, yeah. This around was the little time. shop revival, right? Yes. With Hunter Foster. That's right. Yes. And Carrie Butler. And that was around 2003, 2004, sometime around in there, 2003. What, what was that like? To I mean, and how did how did that gig come about through Henson? So uh, Martin P. Robinson, who plays Mr. Snuffleupagus now and plays Telly Monster on Sesame Street. He is he was the original designer of uh, Audrey, Two in uh, the off-Broadway original production of Little Shop of Horrors. And when they were going to bring it to Broadway, he was brought in to design the plant for Broadway. And this plant, unlike the one that worked off-Broadway, was going to be the biggest version of the plant, I should say. Uh, everything else was going to work the same way that it had worked previously. So there was like a plant that was in the on the... Uh, flower shop counter and then there was one that was in uh that that hunter foster operated that was his hand inside and a fake arm you know and then there was the version that a puppeteer would be in their whole body would be in for feed me uh and kind of you move your uh you know you have your one hand on top of the other hand reached out in front of you and you kind of open and close your hands and that's the mouth opening and closing and then the biggest version for act two is 
for the Broadway version was on a hydraulic uh, lift and a crane that would that at one point would rise up, uh, you know, 12 feet in the air and then could push out over the audience about six to eight feet and swoop down during the uh, during the finale. And so Marty, uh, he asked me to audition for it. And so I did. And there was uh, there was myself. Let me see. There were there were four puppeteers on that uh, in that show. And we would three of us would work one any given show. So we're doing eight shows a week. Three of us would work in a show and then one would have the night off and kind of just watch and make sure everything was going as planned. And, uh, you know, the first puppeteer would do the first little puppet in the in the counter. The second puppeteer would do feed me. And then the third puppeteer would have the second act, which is, you know, you'd be like strapped into a safety harness. And it was like a big, it was a big deal. And, you know, I, that was probably the, the most in shape I've ever been in my life because it's, you know, eight shows a week. We're not doing, we're not doing the biggest plant every night, but that doing it and repeating it in that way for as long as it was, was really, uh, you know, got a lot of exercise in. Yeah, but it was, it was really cool to be part of that. And it was cool that, you know, that I was chosen to help bring that plant to life. Oh, that's so and, cool, man. And your theater roots sort of coming full circle. Well, yeah, yeah, which is cool. True. Well, I will say, you know, these stories have been amazing. And we clearly cannot fit all of your amazing stories into one episode. And so what do you say, Tristan? We probably ought to close this one and move on to a second episode. Yeah. So, you know, stay tuned because next week's episode is going to feature stories about his probably most famous character that he plays, Mr. Kermit the Frog, which is so cool, Matt. So, uh, uh, you know. So, uh, so much of this. So, oh, my gosh. So many stories. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Hey, if you're not already following of Mice and Main Street Men on Facebook and Instagram, please do follow us and stay tuned for next week's episode, which also will feature Mr. Matt Vogel. Thank you again, Matt. Thank you, Sean. It's always a pleasure. And we will see you all real soon. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing.